I'm Drew Miller, and you're listening to The Second Muse. At first, I was surprised to hear that Andy Golahorn loves math. But then it made perfect sense, because just like an elegant equation, Andy's songs are set apart by their sparing efficiency. Well-chosen constituent parts combine to make an irreducible whole, and there's never any wasted space. And yet, for all that logical language, the effect is deeply emotional. Nowhere is this experienced more potently than in his song, The End of a World, which has its origin in tragedy. Andy says in this episode that his job as a songwriter is to not sleepwalk through life. By that criteria, it's evident that his is a job well done. Well, Andy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It is such a pleasure to have you on this podcast. Um, So let's start with the title, The Second Muse. Uh, It comes from a Wendell Berry quote, one of my favorites where he talks about the two muses. He says, there are, it seems, two muses, the muse of inspiration, who gives us inarticulate visions and dreams. And then there's the muse of realization, who returns again and again to say, it is yet more difficult than you thought. Um, So it's my sense that in a lot of conversations around creativity, we focus on the first muse. We talk about inspiration and Often the impression is that the artist is just inspired and beautiful works of genius just flow right out of them without any effort. Um, but we all know that that's not the whole story. And the second muse plays a pretty huge role in baffling us. Um, later on in that same quote, Barry says, the mind that is not baffled is not employed. Um, and my personal favorite line of the whole little uh excerpt is the impeded stream is the one that sings so i'd love to start just by asking you um what your relationship to the second muse is like um if you are on speaking terms if you two get along and what role that plays more broadly like in your um process of songwriting and what your history is like with the second muse I could be fooling myself, but I think I have a good relationship with the second muse. Um, Excellent. I like to think that the distance between the first and the second has uh, gotten smaller over the years. One way that I think about the second muse, just from you talking about it right now, um, is I think about it as structure Hmm. and math. I, I love country music kind of grew up on country music and studied the structure of country music Mm -hmm. and sometimes for creative people which I don't really when I think about creatives for some reason I don't think I really fit into that mold the word creative as a noun in particular or or just artistic uh, kind of I don't know I I don't see myself as that I see myself as more of a mathematician Hmm. so to me I think you have I have inspiration and when I think impeded stream I think structure so Hmm. it's like you have this inspiration and I'm trying to bring it into a structure and the structure has limits to it Hmm. but 
to me, those limits make it sing. Right. Um, and maybe I'm operating on a wrong definition of the second muse, but when I think of somebody who's just starting to write songs, some, somebody who's very artistic and abstract mm-hmm. and just, they're writing a six-minute song with it's all metaphors and just beautiful language. It's really hard to understand. Sure. That's not what I do. Right. Um, or at least not what I try to do. Mm-hmm. It, a lot of people think that the structure, a song that's three minutes long, that has to rhyme all the time, whatever, that that is not creative. That's kind of squelching the creativity. It's like constricting. Yeah. Almost. And to me, I love the structure. So I'm more on, on that side. And I believe that the structure, in a sense, leads me to the truth of the song. Yeah. Whether that is trying to, oh, I'm trying to rhyme with this word. I don't know. Let me think of a rhyme. Okay, I came up with a rhyme. Okay, what's a sentence that I could lead up to that rhyme? And then I get that sentence and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's that says it way differently than I would have said it mm. and it's where the song needs to go mm. so to put honesty um, into that structure and tell a story well inside the structure mm. I always felt like it was more powerful to me than trying to do that outside of the structure so yeah. it carried a, a weight to it it was more compact I guess sure thing the word formula is like almost um a bad word or whatever, but there's a formula to sort of the setup and the punchline of your songwriting that is, it applies to the humor and it applies to the sort of like truth bomb aspect. And both of those are really present Hmm. in your lyrics. And it strikes me that those are um, very structured. Like there is a way to go about that and to like successfully set the listener up to hear this next thing for that to work well thank you for saying that I, to me formula I get why formula can be a bad word but it's not a bad word to me yeah you're over the stigma I'm kind of like the formula works yeah I also don't feel completely bound to the formula the point is to learn the rules and be really familiar with them so that when I need to break them I'm doing it on purpose and, the, and even breaking the rules is saying something. Yeah. Whereas I think as a beginning songwriter or a lot of beginning songwriters, they're like, I don't want to be constricted by the formula of the rules, so I it's kind of more free form. Mm-hmm. There's nothing uh I don't have anything against a six minute song if it needs to be a six minute song. But most six minute songs you if you could say that in three minutes it would I think it'd be way more powerful. More po- but then sometimes <clears throat> I have to I'm like, no, this is gonna be different. I'm gonna break the formula to say something about what the song is trying to say. I, I do care about the setup um, and the best way to yeah. to carry a message. Yeah, another way of saying that would be we really prize innovation. Hmm. Um, but in order to have innovation, you have to have convention, hmm. right? Like you, you have to start from a place mm-hmm. of conventional techniques and forms that you're using to get to a place where you can innovate and invent Mm. within that and it sounds like you just have a healthy relationship with convention which is somewhat uncommon (laughs) among well i um, also don't i I guess i want to be clear that i don't think that's the best way to do it that's just the way that i do it so there are other people that 
write songs a totally different way that I think is sure. beautiful. And I've tried to be more abstract, and it just it doesn't come out of me. Yeah. Like ultimately, that's where I keep come back to the math. I'm like, I just love math, and that, that always kind of figures into. Um, I mean, I'm not thinking about numbers when I'm writing songs, mm-hmm. uh, but but math as relation, like like mm. uh, uh, an efficiency. Yeah. Um, so that those are just the kind of songs I write. I'm not saying that they're the. That's the way everyone should write songs, but that's just what comes out of me. Yeah, where all the parts are working together in the most efficient way to mm-hmm. make the whole, and the whole is irreducible. Yeah. yeah. In some sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Um, well, let's. Uh, do you want to take a listen to the end of a world and uh, talk about it? Sure.
take all these questions I have to lay them down At the feet of a God I can't believe it now A little girl when you see him Tell him why it's so hard On this side of the leaving Where it feels so dark At the end of a world 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 At the end of a Clearing dishes from the table Like it's a regular night You brought your guitar as well. I did. It's my security blanket. Oh. <laughs> um, so feel free to just take us through some of the iterations of um, the idea for the song and how you ended up arriving where you arrived. Sure. So I think first off, songwriting for me is, among other things, I think kind of my primary connection to my emotional world. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'd say my primary connection to God uh, or God's voice in my life. So in situations in life where I'm wondering how I feel about something or wondering uh, where God is in the situation, I always turn to songwriting because mm -hmm. that's what's worked for me before. So this song came uh, was part of the processing after uh, probably one of the most traumatic things I've ever been a part of. Uh, saw. Um, was present uh, when um, our friend's uh, almost three-year-old daughter drowned in the pool, and it was there. Are all sorts of traumatic things about it, um, and I should say the trauma that I feel like I just I can't imagine how much it pales in comparison to the family. Um, but in the wake of that event, there's just a lot of wrestling trying to figure out how I felt about it. I kind of I felt paralyzed in a sense, even in the moment uh, when they were trying to revive her. I remember having this thought, what should I do to help? Like I, I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm kind of helping other kids get into the clubhouse or whatever. Um, and I was next to my friend whose daughter it was and I wasn't sure how to comfort her and uh, I remember thinking oh I should I should pray and then just be like no not gonna do it just just felt paralyzed I couldn't do anything and felt that way for a while after it 
so I kept trying to write songs to flesh out how I I didn't know all the ways that I felt it just it just felt like a lot yeah. um, so that's when I would venture into songwriting to try to process um, and the the deal with that is when I when I start processing something whether it's a, a big trauma or anything I'll kind of go down a road kind of use the creativity piece like oh I know how to be creative I know how to write something that would evoke emotion and I go down a road and then maybe hit a dead end and be like yeah this might be true but it's not true for you or it mm. might be true but it's not the truest mm. about how you feel and then I just kind of hit a like well I'm, I don't feel right singing that song or, or I don't finish this song so this one was one where I, I started three or four different songs. So, so the end of a world is the result of um, kind of hitting a wall with other songs. And, and those songs were guardrails saying, yep, no, that's too far this way. No, that's too far this way. Mm-hmm. And kind of pointing me in the direction of where to go. So I kind of look at it as the same song, but the other songs were a little bit different. Does that make any sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I brought the guitar. So yeah, um, I've never, I've never really done this before. Um, but I'll, as an example of, uh, let's see if I can remember. I mean, so these are songs that I haven't. Um, actually, went back and listened to voice memos. I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot. <laughs> You know, I, I obviously spent time on these, and I don't yeah. remember. This is the first one that I wrote. Um, I look for you in the sea of stars Some comet to light up your face Oh, but I saw nothing, I guess you are Somewhere in your hiding place I turn my ear to the rolling clouds To hear you whisper through the rain But it's all dried up and there ain't no sound Coming from your hiding place I'm tired of looking up, straining my neck to see You're as distant as a distant universe to me That's all I remember from that one. Hmm. Um, But it was exploring this feeling of like, where where was God in that... that, uh, I didn't really feel like God didn't exist. It wasn't a, like a God doesn't exist song. It's just kind of like, you know, show your face. Like, where are you? Yeah, wh- where, yeah. Where are Which you? isn't totally different than where the song ended up. But there are just pieces of that. I was like, yeah, that's not, it didn't feel true. Um, mm. And then the next iteration was... Uh, In the midst of this tragedy and violence 
won't let any feelings get through You're wondering why I'm staring into silence I've got nothing to say to you I've got nothing There's more to that one. But that was similar. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of focusing on that moment of like, maybe I should pray, and no, I'm not going. to... It's just kind of like I've got, got nothing to say. I've got no desire to. It's not saying you're not there. It's just saying I'm. I'm I've got no desire to talk to you. Um, so I don't think it's that different uh, feels. But I would go down that road and just be like, yeah, this is not. That's not it. So then I think there was another one that was similar to that, and I can't remember how it goes. And then um, when I kept hitting that wall, I remembered that the night of the accident when we were driving home, and my daughter, who was maybe 10 or 11 at the time, she we were driving on this road that the studio is on, uh, turns into 12th Avenue. And um, there were people outside just kind of walking 12 South or whatever. And and she was like, what are they doing? Like, why are they walking around smiling? Mm -hmm. And I gave her the grown-up answer. I was like, oh, sweetheart, they have no clue what happened. That's one of the hard things about tragedies like this is that, you know, the world just kind of moves on. So I gave her a very grown-up answer to her childlike question. And, um, you know, like making sense of it. And so after hitting all these ro- roadblocks, I was like, what What do I do? Like, what do you... I don't know who I was asking that, but asking maybe the guitar. I kind of asked the guitar, I was like, help me out here. And it was like, it took me back to that moment and said, you know, that way that your daughter felt um, that you had the grown-up answer to. I said, no, you are where your daughter is like it just doesn't make sense to you the mm. the sure life goes on but it just it doesn't feel right um, yeah. so that's where I started I, I see the lights in the houses and the people inside clearing dishes from the table like it's a regular night and the ones on 12th street out for an evening walk how can they keep moving when the world just stopped and that's essentially I can picture being on 12th avenue and seeing the lights in the houses and seeing my daughter talk about the people on 12th street so like I was like I just have to start there and then see where it goes yeah. So that's what I did, and then then the lyrically that all just kind of came out. Hmm. Um, you found it. Yeah, it was kind of there, building up, and just waiting for me yep. to open the right door. Right. Um, and so all of it up to the bridge, and I wrote a bridge to that song that had three questions in it. Hmm. Um, and I don't think I'm going to share the three questions, but. Um, the three questions were in that moment standing next to the pool some mm-hmm. of those questions that I asked myself was more kind of like is there something more I could have done in that realm um, and that led to the last verse where it says I have to take all these questions I have to lay them down and as I played it for myself um it didn't feel right in in the song. There's, there's something felt like I was trying to force something, yeah. or 
trying to make myself feel more important for being in the middle of the tragedy, yeah. which is really embarrassing and really awful to say. But there's part of my ego that's like, well, I'm not just thinking about any tragedy. Like, I was there. I want people to know that I was really hurt. Hmm. And, um, and so it didn't fit with that music. So then I kind of like, well, I think I need to make the music more sad. So I wrote a, t- took those lyrics and did a whole different version on piano um, that was more, I see the lights in the houses and the people inside. Clearing dishes from the table like it's a regular night. And the ones on 12th Street out for an evening walk. How can they keep moving when the world is stuck? Doesn't anybody know? Doesn't anybody know? It's the end of the world. It's the anyways. That's kind of the feel of it. It was kind yeah. of like a, it's a sadder, not up tempo. I mean, I, yeah. I don't think they finished songs like up tempo. I, I see it as up tempo because it's it's um, strummy. Anything yeah. that's where a strum feels up tempo. Yeah, and there was. Even the hammer-on kind of things kind of felt a little bit violent and, and punchy. Um, yeah. So I was trying to soften it up, make it more sad, so that the bridge maybe made more sense. Mm-hmm. But even when I would get there, it still just feel like, man, that's not... You need to take yourself out of it in that way. Yeah. So um, I just replaced it with kind of groans. Yeah. It's just, oh... And I don't normally do that. I don't. I don't have a whole lot of songs where I say "oh" or you know, kind of like a that. That's not something that I normally do. Right. And um, but it's kind of like, let's take you out of it, put in these groans, and you can still talk about the questions. But your questions are in the groans, and you can keep them to yourself. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of once I did that. Um, eventually, I still played this other version, of the more somber version. And then just felt like, no, that's not right either. Yeah. Go back to the the uh, more strummy and kind of punchy thing, and that's that's where it landed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the time of recording it, that's kind of there weren't many changes once I started recording it. This, right. I, and I had been living with the song for uh, a while before I recorded it. I actually mm-hmm. was was going to put it on the record before, oh, but okay. it just felt like it was too soon to do that. Okay. Um, so then I, that was the one song I carried over from the record before. Man, you talk so um, sober-mindedly about these different versions of the idea that were like guardrails, you were mm-hmm. saying. Um, but man, like, don't you get kind of attached to them too? Or is it like, I don't need you anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, that's not right. I'm going to move on. Because I've had that experience before, too, where something just doesn't feel right, but I love the words, or mm-hmm. I love the music, or something, some element of it, but something in it is telling me, like, that isn't going to be how it is eventually, um, ultimately. But at the same time, there's an attachment that you have to negotiate, and especially if it's something that holds such emotional 
weight to begin with. Um, I'm just curious how you end up relating to these unfinished. Hmm. It's weird going back and listening to them because there are musical things and lyrical things like, oh, I'd really love that moment. Hmm. And um, yeah, it's hard to not get attached to it. I, I like to think that I'm better at not getting attached to it now than I used to be. Hmm. Um, but it's also, I think if I thought, I was like, oh, there's this thing I created and it's just dead and it's just sitting in a corner and it's, it's unappreciated, hmm. that would be really hard. For me, yeah. I see it as like this thing I created, it's a sandcastle that I built before the tide came up and washed it away and that mm. gave me an idea for something else that's going to last a little bit longer nothing was wasted yeah it wasn't wasted and that's the shift in perspective yeah. that you're and, and actually when I looked at my voice memos and what, like when I went back and listened to this getting ready for the podcast I was like oh I, I totally forgot about that I, I, I totally forgot content music mm. all that kind of stuff and I went back and listened I was like oh man I I really like this about it. Maybe I'll use it something else. But then I looked at uh, the songs that came after, um, which, by the way, this is called End of a World, but I, I call it Saint Tess. It's the name of the girl. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I call it Saint Tess is because I, I, I realized that although I had a hard time praying, um, every morning I'd get up when she was still on life support, and I would just be like, come on, Tess, wake up. Like, I could talk to her. Mm-hmm. And then after she passed, I could talk to her. And I was like, this is the first time it made sense to me, the communion of the saints. Like, I grew oh, up Catholic man. and praying to the saints. I'm kind of like, oh, that doesn't really make sense to me. But like in that stage, like that last verse to me is asking her to advocate to God and tell God like, hey, listen, here's why all these people are really upset. I mean, yeah. not that he doesn't know, but just kind of saying, I can't really talk to God, but I know that you're with him. And, and I can talk to you. And so talking to Tess, this three-year-old girl, felt like I was I was talking with a saint. So it's, it's called Saint Tess. And um, But from that, so I would see on my voice memos, Saint Tess, Saint Tess, th- 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 all these different versions after those other songs. And then the songs that came after it, there's a song called I Want to Be Well, which I think in the bridge or the last verse the last verse of I want to be well is it feels like a lie that I'm made in your image all my faith is run dry I'm more skeptic than a witness um, but I sit at the water afraid to get in you ask me the question I'll say it again I want to be well I want to be well or I want to want to be well mm-hmm. but the all my faith is run dry is from the line in I turn my ear to the rolling clouds to hear your whisper through the rain, yeah. but it's all dried up. There ain't no sound coming from your hiding place. So it's kind of like that gives birth to something else. And then the next song was Is It Real, which was just a joke song that I started writing for my daughter that said Donald Trump at the beginning to make her laugh. But then it ended up being a song about kind of like faith and doubt. And it's all, those, it's all the same stuff. Is Those were born out of those songs that didn't go anywhere. Uh, so I can you know, tie the family tree. Yeah, and it's almost this, like, amazing resourcefulness that you can't take responsibility for. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's something, there's another party involved, that this is really prayer. 
then someone <laughs> is yeah. taking these ideas that are unwittingly sort of like spewing in different directions and like weaving them into, oh no, this is going to go somewhere. Like you yeah. don't know it's going to go somewhere, but it's... And that's, I mean, I think that's a really important point, the ownership hmm. of the inspiration. Yeah. Um, I, I always hate when people say, oh, no, thank you, God wrote it, you know, whatever. I'm like, that's a, like, God would write way better songs than that. Right. Right. So, um, but <coughs> there is part of it. It's like, I show up with my math and I show up with my formula. Mm-hmm. I know how to write a song. But what goes into it? I have very little control over. I try to pay attention, and I try to be there and try to be present. Mm-hmm. But what comes out is always different than what I intended. So I feel less and less ownership over whatever it is. Not that it's some amazing inspired by you know whatever. I'm not even claiming. It's not that. a humble brag, right? That's not true. I'm just I'm just saying, I don't really feel ownership over it. So like, yeah. it was all a gift. Even the half song or the song that I'm not going to sing was a gift, and and so I can take it and say thank you, and I can let it float down the river uh, yeah. and not not feel like I have to cling to it and take ownership over it. it um, are you familiar with, I think this is a Tolkien quote, he was describing how being asked the question, like, what are your inspirations, is really impossible to answer. Hmm. And he uses the analogy of like a compost pile hmm. instead. Like, I couldn't tell you what's in the compost Right. anymore because by definition it's this mass of like accumulated stuff um, but there are all these particular pieces that have a history that are playing a role in this fertility mm. of my imagination that the reason it works is that I can't trace it back Yeah, and and that's the magic but I love that analogy because it I think it really does do the work of separating us out from that ownership um, attachment, like mm. trying to be owners. Like if, if this is something that's happening as, apart from me in this sort of natural cycle of life, <laughs> then right. I'm just a witness, right? Like I'm just watching it and I'm just um, cultivating it, which is and that's not as humans. Yeah, and that's not a small job. I think like that's oh, no. that, that's a to me. It's also not abdicating responsibility for creativity. It's saying, hey, I want to show up. I want to be present. I don't. I think my job as a songwriter is to not sleepwalk through the world. And that's mm-hmm. the hardest thing. Is just to like try to pay attention and try to be available with whatever tools I have. And those, yeah. the tools happen to be. I can play guitar and I know the structure of a song Mm -hmm. and but just try to be ready on call all the time for you know when something comes and just and and give it a space uh, to live and I think you know that's not just songwriting that's it you know rabbit room conversations are all about this which Mm -hmm. is what I love but I think having those creative outlets Mm -hmm. are so important not just to to feel like you can create something but it really is a connection to the other whatever mm-hmm. that other is for whatever that inspiration is coming from um, it's just like there is uh, a huge piece that is not me at least not my consciousness mm-hmm. you know and some of it could be 
you know my emotions and my thoughts that I that I kind of deny sure exist and they're like hey well here's my chance to come out and, yeah. and make my voice heard um, and I just see it as the Holy Spirit uh, like I, right. I just I see it as I've, I've said this in shows before maybe you know people will get upset about it but I kind of think of my guitar as the Holy Spirit it's kind of the guitar I'll pick it up and start playing something and it's like it's directing me yeah um, not not this particular guitar, but but like the intentionality of sitting down and trying saying I I want to hear what you have to say. The pos- the time when I get in that posture most is when I come to my guitar. Yeah, saying like okay, I'm open for what you have for me, and maybe I need to expand other ways in my life where I'm I I'm trying to do that where I'm open as well. But for me, that's what coming to the guitar has been. It's like hey, I'm open for whatever it is you have for me. That almost circles all the way back around to this way that you're describing the distance that's closing between the first mm-hmm. and second muse, right? Mm-hmm. Where if there's ever a structure that lends freedom, it's the instrument. Hmm. Like that is the prime yeah. example of yeah. an instance of structure that is absolutely necessary, you know? Um, when you pick up your guitar, you're picking up this very mathematical mm-hmm. object uh, that is set up in such a way to resonate with you, mm-hmm. right? I would love to spend a couple minutes here at the end just talking a little bit about the mechanics of the song itself, The End of a World, because sure. I think it's worth, if anybody is listening who wants to do their homework on songwriting mm. and like learn something really tangible. Um, I was just noticing some things while we were listening about the relationship between details and um, and then more metaphorical language that mm. the way that those two work together is really, really cool. And, and I just, I also get the sense there's like a lot of purpose behind, I could tell that like in some of those, uh, I think it was always the same chord. It was, I think it was the four chord. You would hang on it for a very particular amount of like measures hmm. of space, hmm. like after a chorus hmm. before the next verse, and so the the, the presence of silence, hmm. not necessarily silence, but but like empty space was really um, purposeful. And I don't know. Like, do, do you have any anything that comes to mind when you think about this particular song mechanically? Hmm. Like, if you were to put on your math thematics hat and say like okay here are the tools that are kind of like lending this song its voice Hmm. how would you articulate that i think you know it's hard to to dissect it and say that it was all like so intentional um but i I think one thing that was really important to me with this song it it was a concrete imagery Mm -hmm. um and that wasn't hard. I mean, like every single one of the, like I said, the first verse, um, the election campaigners coming to the door. It wasn't presidential election. It was, uh, I think it was school board or something. But like there were, um, I think that was specifically Jill answered the door. And there's somebody, and it's just kind of like, Somebody was talking to her about, oh, who are you planning on voting for? And she's kind of like, not interested. Like, I don't even right. care. Like, 
it, it felt offensive. I mean, right. we understood like, oh, they're doing their job, but it felt offensive. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, you know, butterfly garden at uh, at um, Vanderbilt Children's Hospital, mm. heading to the elevators and and everything was just like, I can tie every single one of those images to. Uh, so I'm not that creative. I don't. It's not. It's not like oh, I'm gonna think of something that's gonna evoke. Some- oh no, because I think the best thing you can do is get out of the way of yeah. those. Um, yeah, I say that as like, <laughs> I, not uh, not apologetically. Sure. It, yeah. It's kind of like, but there's. I like saying that to songwriters that you don't have to look far for, the images that are gonna connect with people. Mm-hmm. Actually, don't look far. Yeah. Uh, look right around you, yeah. and so it's just. A litany of here are things, here are images that stand out to me, and I want to be as specific as possible. And some of that is for my friends. I was thinking, I don't know if they're ever going to hear the parents. I don't know if they were ever going to hear the song. Um, but I know that the specificity uh, is more comforting, even though it's, I'm more afraid of it. Um, it's more honoring. Yeah of the story too. So I kind of that was one thing that was really important to me. Yeah. The specific images. One so that people who are there with me, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to say, you know, Vanderbilt Children's Hospital, you know whatever. Yeah. Um and um but then also, yeah, the space having there are a number of songs where I feel like holding on to extra measures mm-hmm. can feel like a a sigh like you're catching your breath mm-hmm. um, and so some of that just comes from when I would when I write a song I just play it a bunch of times mm-hmm. for myself yeah. and just like how do I feel right now I need a breather yeah. I need I need to just hang on this and just be like oh gosh okay I have to get up and do another verse that kind of thing Um, so some of it my goal is just to to create the space and and write in a way that it's true to how it feels and that's why honestly when I change the bridge to the just saying oh whatever to me they're like cries Um, it felt so much more true it's like that's just just like that's what I wanted to do at that moment is just be like I don't really have the words. I just, I just want to cry. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, those those choices are just about being true to how it actually feels to me, and that's my my job is not to figure out how it's going to feel true to other people. It's how it's going to feel true to me, and then, you know, miracle of miracles that connects with other people in some right. way. Yeah, the best way to make sure something connects with other people is to not worry about it connecting to other people. Yeah. But to connect to it yourself. Yeah. And, and that's persuasive. Um, well, I'm going to steal this last question straight from Jonathan Rogers because I love the way that he ends all of his interviews. Um, and I would like to ask you, who is a songwriter who makes you want to write songs? My standard easy answer is David Wilcox who's my songwriting uh, mentor hero mm-hmm. since since I was in high school 
but I feel like I've said that so many times. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll throw in another one to the mix. All right. Um, and that would be Hugh Presswood. Hugh Presswood. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've Who's never a heard of country writer. Okay. Actually, li- lives in a very rare kind of country writer. Back in the, wrote like '90s country, huh. and um, wrote a lot by himself, which was really rare in the country world. Lived out in New York, and um, his songs were always a little bit left to center. Yeah. And he had a great understanding of country structure. And he broke the rules all the time, uh, for in in meaningful ways. Yeah, he earned it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he just his songs. Like some of his he wrote a song called um, some of his most famous ones, like "Ghost in This House," which uh, Shenandoah recorded and Alison Cross recorded, mm. which is just a oh, it's just beautifully sad. Um, uh, the hard rock bottom of your heart that Randy Travis sang, which if you listen to that song, it, it kind of like sounds hokey, country, whatever, but it's a song about forgiveness. And if you like, it's the kind of thing where it fits into the structure. And then, like, if you take it out of the context of Randy Travis singing it like it's super country, <laughs> and you listen to the words, like, man, there was a song on country radio about forgiveness that is just like, it's just really beautiful. Like, how do you sneak that one yeah. by us? Or the song "Remembers Wind" for Trisha Yearwood. He just yeah. he's. Uh, uh, an incredible songwriter, one of my favorites. That's awesome. So, and of course, David Wilcox, but I'll, I'll throw sure. Hugh Presswood in there. Yeah, well, those are great answers. Well, thanks so much for coming and talking about um, the end of a world and sharing um, all these rough drafts and everything. It's such a pleasure to hear the um, the story and the lead up and the way that you got to to where it arrived. So, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio in the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. A little girl, when you see him, tell him why it's so hard. On this side of the leaving, where it feels so good.